Let's stand and read the scriptures together. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices." Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. And then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel, and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat. And it will make your stomach bitter, and it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. Amen. Be seated. So I'm speaking at camps this summer. And one of the things you do when you speak at camps is you meet with the counselors and the counselors tell you what the students are saying, what the campers are saying. And they tell you the circumstances, the stories behind the campers and it often, it breaks your heart. And and they also tell you the questions that the campers are asking. And then when you speak and you go down by the by the lake and you put your feet in the water and you sit on the dock with the campers, they, they tell you the stories and they ask you their questions. And this is a question that comes up over and over again in the lives of young people, many of whom are hurting. You tell me that there is a God and that he's very, very powerful. He's all powerful. He's almighty. He's sovereign. You tell me there is a God. And you tell me that the Bible says that God is good. Then why does God, if he's powerful and good, allow such suffering in the world, especially in my life? If he's powerful and he's good, then why is he waiting to bring the kingdom that he promised? This passage today is an answer to that question. It's a graphic fascinating answer to that question. This passage is one of the interludes, if you will. You know how the book of Revelation in chapters 6 through 19 are arranged in seven uh, seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls of seven seals that are open and a judgment comes on the earth and seven trumpets that are blown and when a trumpet is blown, a judgment comes on the earth and seven bowls that are poured out and when a bowl is poured out in heaven, a judgment comes on the earth and yet twice now, At the seventh seal, just before the seventh seal, there's an interruption. There's a parenthesis. There's an interlude. 
And the interlude, the purpose of the interlude is the same. It's always to encourage the people of God, encourage the saints of God. While there's chaos on earth, there's order in heaven. When it looks like everything's falling apart on earth, everything is put together in heaven. When it looks like the devil's going to win on earth, the lamb who's on, the lamb and the one who's on the throne are in control in heaven. And that's what you have here. You have in chapter 10, it goes all the way from chapter 10 to chapter 11 and verse 14. You have another one of these encouraging interludes and you have two pictures. In the first interlude, you have the the 144,000 and the great multitude, which no man can number. And in the second interlude, you have two pictures. The first picture is of this great angel in this little book. That's what we'll talk about this morning. And the second picture, well, that's later. You can read about that next week, this week. So you have this in in this second interlude, this, this, this great angel and this little book, and what do they mean? Well, let's talk about the mighty angel. The angel is going to swear to God that the end is about to unfold, that the kingdom is about to come. Yeah, and, and some will say, when you look at this, it looks a little bit like in chapter 1, the picture of Jesus. And some good Bible scholars, you'd be in pretty good company if you said, this is Jesus. But I kind of don't think so. Here are five reasons why I don't believe this is Jesus. The Greek word is, is here's a na- an angel. It's like another angel of the same kind. Another angel of the same kind. Second, every other time Jesus appears in Revelation, he's given a very distinct name. He's just not called an angel. He's given a distinct name. Third, there are other strong angels that appear in Revelation 5, Revelation 18, who are not Jesus. Fourth, Jesus Christ, this angel swears by God, and Jesus is God and would not swear by himself. The scriptures say that. He cannot. And fifth, this would be like a coming of Jesus that no, no place else in the Bible talks about. And yet the second coming of Jesus, the second advent of Christ, is referred to 365 times in the Bible. So I don't think this angel is Jesus, but if you want to believe it is, it won't really change how you understand this. It's still very comforting. Whatever this angel is saying, he's going to say the heart of it is there in verse 7. We'll get to it in a minute. The main action is 7. But before we get there, notice what this angel is doing. He's coming from heaven to earth, and 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 these are the things that are, he has a shocking appearance. So the angel is staking his claim on everything in the world, one foot on the earth, one foot in the sea, that's symbolically staking his claim, sovereign over all the earth. And what do these symbols mean? If you, The way you understand biblical symbols is you look in the near context and see if they're actually identified. If they're not actually identified in the near context, you see if the same symbols are identified anywhere else in the book. And if they're not identified Anywhere else in the book, you take the Old Testament in particular and you look at how that symbol was used in the Old Testament. So we understand the stories of the Bible are literal, but we also understand that there are figurative ways to express literal things, right? And that's what you have here. It's kind of obvious when you have figures. It's obvious when, when it's here you have the cloud, the rainbow, face like the sun and feet like the fire and a little book that's open and the right foot here and the left foot there and a loud voice and a lion roar and seven thunders and that's a lot of symbolism there. But altogether they can be understood. Clouds are symbolic of judgment in the Bible. This angel is speaking about judgment. Rainbow is symbolic of promises in the Bible. Am I right about that? We know that from the very beginning. Our son Daniel, when he was born, he had some medical problems. We thought they might be serious. They really weren't, but we thought they might be. I remember everybody else got to hold him, and I didn't hold him. And then he went into the hospital, and then he was in an incubator, and he was just so tiny. 
and I got worried. I don't get worried very often, but I got a little bit worried. On that November day, I walked out of the hospital. It was a rainy November day, and I walked out of the hospital that day. I had a big lump in my throat, and I wondered if I'd ever get to hold him. And then I looked up in the sky, and there was a double rainbow in the sky. And this is what I know about my God. In his book, he puts a rainbow in the sky to remind us that he keeps his promises. So there was no mistaking that God allowed me to see a rainbow in the sky and remind me of the promises of God. Here's an angel that's about to, to, about to say, I swear by God, his promises are about to come to fruition. His face like the sun, his feet like fire. His judgment is coming, and these are symbolic of his great holiness. There's the little book that's open, the scroll of judgment that's unfolding. This is probably the same scroll that we see in chapter 4 and 5. His right foot and his left foot. You notice it says that he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land declaring his sovereignty over all the earth. He speaks with a voice that's authoritative. It's a loud voice. This is common in this book that that God speaks and angels declare in a loud voice like a lion roar. This is a sobering, kind of shaking the earth kind of a voice. And then it says there's the seven thunders. And these are audible thunders that actually have a message attached to them because you know because it says there John gets his pen out and he says I'm going to write down what the thunder said it says if you have the angel that speaks and then the thunder like God replies it says that in verse 3 then he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars and when he cried out seven thunders uttered their voices okay that would have been something to, to behold right So the angel descends from heaven to earth. He's got a shocking appearance, which means that he's about to, he has this great authority. He's about to speak forth that God's promises of holiness and judgment are going to be poured out upon the earth. And he cries out and his cry is answered by a thunder-like voice from God in verses 3 and 4. And there's a message in the seven thunders that's given there. And this is the picture that God allows John to see on the island of Patmos and to include in his prophecy that he's supposed to tell to the churches that are going through chaos on earth. Then the angel makes a vow, and the vow is to sound the seventh trumpet and complete the promises of God. And that's where the action goes in this passage to verse 7. That's the key verse there. Verse 6, swore by him who lives forever and ever and created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth, the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. This is where the action of this runs to this. This is what he's saying. There's going to be, the delay is over. The wait is over. The question you had, when is the kingdom coming? Now the kingdom's coming. This is the grand question hanging in the hearts of all the faithful and all the doubters throughout all of time. When, is, when do the things that God says are going to happen, when are they going to happen? And the angel's saying, it's going to happen now. And so he makes a solemn vow to God. This remarkable angel from heaven is making a solemn promise. In verse 6, he's identified God as the creator of everything. This is really common in Revelation. Remember chapter 4 and verse 11, the early worship in heaven. Why did they worship him? Later on, they're going to worship him because he judges all things. In between, they worship the one who is the slain lamb who shed his blood. First of all, he worships the one because he created everything. 
It's important what you believe about creation. Here he says, by the one who created everything. In missions, when you go to another country, this is the place that you need to start with people who don't know the Lord. They understand that there are things that are made. You need to tell them that the God of the Bible is the one who created the things that are made. And he swears by the one who created everything and he's exclusive. He kind of does three big loops here saying he created everything in heaven and on earth and in the sea. Like often says, under the earth. When it's interesting here. Um, in, in, uh, it's, in, in, it says this mystery that was hidden. Now, um, that there would be a kingdom is not technically a mystery. The technical use of the term mystery in the New Testament, especially in Pauline use, is usually something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New Testament. But the kingdom was revealed, but parts about the kingdom, how long the kingdom would go, that there would be a Gentile interlude, what the kingdom would be like. These were not revealed in the Old Testament. This is a mystery. The timing is what the mystery was. Not that there would be a kingdom, but the timing of the kingdom was the mystery, the thing that would be revealed. Now he's saying this mystery is being revealed. It's going to be finished. And he, the things that he declared to his servants, the prophets, the Old Testament promises are coming to fruition. The key verse there, verse 7 is the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the mystery revealed the prophets will be complete revealed to the prophets will be completed. So you have this question that's in the hearts of all sincere people. And that is um, like the disciples on the Mount of Olives a long time ago. It's recorded in Matthew 24, 3. They said, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? Isn't that just the question that we all ask? When are you going to do this, God? This sounds so wonderful. Tell me when it's going to happen. When is this going to take place? That's the question. Chapter, Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, the, the disciples are, are saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what's the answer to that? No, not yet, because there's going to be the whole church age that we're in. But there is going to be a time that it restores the kingdom to Israel. Isn't that interesting? Lord, how long are these terrible things going to happen? You didn't read about it much because there's so many blowhards on the news these days. But Boko Haram went into a little village. Uh, it was a refugee village a couple weeks ago. Boko Haram, a radical Islamist militant group, goes into a little village, kills 90 innocent little children. They literally p- could hear their cries or crying out. Hardly even made the news in America because we're covering the blowhards, you know, that are all going to fix everything in America. We've got a Super Bowl coming up, so, you know, that's the big news in America today. Not the vile, demonic things that are happening to Christian people around the world. We cry out, Lord, when are you going to restore your kingdom? When are you going to come and make this stuff right? The angel message is that time's coming. And, and at this point here, he's uh, looking forward. He's looking into the future and saying, John, this angel's going to come and say, this seventh uh, trumpet is going to blow and then the kingdom is going to come and you see that after at the blowing of the seventh uh, trumpet there if this interlude is over at chapter 11 and verse 14 the second woe is past behold the third woe is coming quickly and look at verse 15 then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying are you ready for this the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And all the good Baptists said, Amen. 
So I'm a kid and I'm in school and I'm in junior high school and I'm, I'm hyperactive and not all that bright anyway. The Coach Maruelli is uh, my biology teacher. I'm half paying attention like you do in junior high. And he says, today I want to teach you the theory of uniformitarianism. I'm like, that sounds like a big word, you know. So he's going to teach us the theory of uniformitarianism. What I don't know as a boy, but I intuitively sense, is that this is actually a theory that's contrary to God's word. Here's the idea. When you study this, you can look it up yourself. The, the guy who came up with this in the 1700s, the idea before that, most people believe there was a great catastrophe, and a great catastrophe explains the geology of the earth, right? Before the 1700s, most people believed there was this great catastrophe, and it explains the way the geology of the earth looks. Now, what would the great catastrophe be if you're a Bible-believing Christian? The worldwide flood. This is what I was taught as a boy, given a great deal of you know, creation science books to read. And that's probably why it occurred to me when he said that, that didn't sound right. As a matter of fact, the theory came from a man who had rejected the biblical accounts of the flood and said that we can explain everything, what the, what the earth, what the geological formations of the earth look like. We can explain that without reference to miraculous, to the Bible or to miracles in the Bible. The theory of uniformitarianism was directly contrasting the theory of catastrophism or a worldwide flood. As I read, as I heard my teacher say that, I had been reading my Bible. And, and this is what I was reminded of in a passage in 2 Peter. And, l- and listen to what it says. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. When th- this coach, who was a well-loved coach and very forceful guy, when he said this, he didn't say it like it was a theory. He said it like it was a scientific fact. Things are in the world have always been like they are now, and they'll continue out like they were, and there were, was no divine intervention or anything. In my mind, I thought about this passage, and I'm in the seventh or maybe the eighth grade, and this is the passage I thought about because I had just been reading it. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 2, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking after their own lust, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which now are preserved by the same word and are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, the theory of human formitarianism is absolutely wrong, contrary to the Bible. The Bible says God created the world. The Bible says that God judged the world in the great worldwide flood. And the Bible says that God is going to return to the world and that there's going to be another judgment by fire. This is the word of God. This is the truth of the scripture that can't and should not be avoided. And this is what the angel is appealing to. The one I'm swearing by is the one who created and therefore controls everything. And so you have this, this wonderful promise that, that this angel is giving. Well, look at the second part. So the first part is this great angel. And what's the great angel doing? He's coming as a messenger from God with great authority saying, these promises are about to be fulfilled. And then 
he, he's get, they, he, the voice which I heard from heaven spoke again and said, Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. That's a big angel, right? And so the little book, the little book, and he takes the, the little book. John is told to, by the voice from heaven, the thunder voice, to eat the book and proclaim the book. When you, when you read verses 1 through 7 and you, th- you know, think yourself into those verses and what was happening to the people on earth and what's happening to people on earth now and what's going to be happening to people on earth during the tribulation, the question that would be in the hearts of the faithful is, God, what should we do when the world is falling apart? What should we do when we look around and there's chaos all over the earth? What should we do when men are eating men alive with their depravity? What should we do when it looks like the bowels of hell have opened up and demons are pouring out and tormenting men? Literally what happens in chapter 9. What do we do? And the answer here is given symbolically to John. You take this book and you consume, you eat this book. And it's going to be bittersweet. And then you talk about it. That's what he says. There's truth in this for us. John is told by the voice from heaven, the thunder voice, to eat the book and then to proclaim the book. Eat the scroll. It's symbolic of absorbing and assimilating the promises of God that he is going to bring all things to completion and keep all of his promises. Digest the book and declare the book. That's what he's saying. So the world is in chaos, right? But the word is a comfort. That's the idea. When the world is in chaos, go to the word for comfort. God's faithful heralds, heralds then, or God's faithful people, are saturated with his word, and they speak his word wherever they go, but it's bitter and it's sweet. Am I right about that? It's bitter and it's sweet. You might ask the question, God, why, why have you delayed your coming so long? Why have you de- de- delayed your coming so long? So much evil has happened, God. Why have you delayed your coming so long? Well, it's kind of bitter to think, you know, all the things that have happened since, like, let's just take, let's just pick a date out of the air, like November 3rd, 1958. That's a very significant date. My birthday. Make a note, right? No, it doesn't matter. I'm glad that he delayed beyond the May of my fifth year when I knelt on my knees by my couch with my dad told me how to believe in Jesus for salvation. God isn't willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance and therefore he's patient. Don't say that God isn't powerful and don't say that God isn't good when God is simply being patient with us that are rebels against his will. Don't call God weak. Don't call, don't call God corrupt when God by his very virtue is being patient because he wants people to come to repentance. What do you do when you see the world history is rushing to a horrifying, chaotic climax. You saturate yourself with the Bible. You, you consume the Word of God. And it is bitter and it is sweet. It's sweet to you because you know it contains the promises of God, but it's bitter because you realize that people who don't receive it are going to be in eternal conscious torment away from God and from His presence. And some of these people are very precious to us. It's bitter and it's sweet. But God will keep His promises. Sandy Stats, who was baptized today, she told me something that I found interesting. You know, she said, Pastor, she says, my brother Tony and his wife Trina, they, they're, they're, you know, serious Christians. And they're always talking about the Lord and they're always reading the Bible and they've got a Christian home, you know. And when I wasn't walking with the Lord, I kind of didn't want to go over there. 
because I knew they were going to be kind of leaning on me, Tony, Trina. I hope I haven't created any trouble here today. But because I knew they were going to be kind of, you know, leaning on me. I knew they were going to be talking about God, talking about the Bible, and nudging me to get right with the Lord, you know. And then the Lord, you know, broke her heart and put her through, put her through difficulty like he does all of us some. During that time, watching that movie touched her heart and caused her to want to follow the Lord. Here's what she said. Now, I always love it when Tony and Trina have a birthday party or something, any excuse to go over to their house. Because over at their house, it's a Christian home. And they're always talking about the Lord. On every block in this great downriver area, there ought to be a place where Jesus is Lord. Where the people there know the book. And they talk about it. And they love it. And they make the Lord of the book known. It's the kind of guy I want to be. That's the kind of house I want to have. I know that's the kind of house that you want to have. Well, today we're going to sing. What a day it's been. What a happy, joyful, thrilling day it's been. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So here's what we're going to do today. Before we go home, we're going to sing a song about the second coming. And Pastor Discerns is going to come at the end of that song. He's going to take a minute to describe a ministry to you and a little something that's going on next week. Then he's going to close in prayer.